Have you ever missed a turn on your road to somewhere and then had to make a mid-course correction? This is Dennis Peterson. Thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. You know, sometimes when you go too far down the wrong road, you can never completely retrace your path. You might get blown off course through no fault of your own, and then you have to find a completely new course to your desired destination. We might not have felt particularly like giving thanks for those detours at the time we went through them, Maybe today we'll discover some thoughts to help us reconsider. Thanksgiving for mid-course correction on the master's path for our life. The providence of God. Proverbs 16.9 says the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This is called the providence of God. God guides his children and God provides for their way. It's one of the key characteristics that all of our nation's founding men and women knew about their creator and savior. I'll never forget when, and as a young man, daring to make a detour in my own career, I began to discover the providence of God was guiding my steps in ways that I'd never considered before then. It's been a continuing journey of discovery ever since, discovering the limitless providence of God. From the historical perspective of America's early beginnings, one of the landmark examples of the providential direction of the steps of a believer's way is seen in the account of our country's ancestors, the Pilgrims, over 400 years ago. Their plans were redirected by God's providence numerous times. One of the clearest short accounts of some key elements of the Pilgrim story is presented by author Michael Medved for Prager University. If you haven't gotten connected with Prager University on the internet, you're going to enjoy so much of these little short five-minute segments that are put together by some of the most outstanding people of our day. Let's listen to Michael Medved as he discusses some of the common misconceptions of our day, and he describes what is the truth about the first Thanksgiving. First of all, the pilgrims didn't cross the ocean to flee persecution or even England. They'd been living for over a decade in Holland, Europe's most tolerant nation and a haven for religious dissenters, free from interference by the Church of England. They feared seduction, not persecution, worrying that their children would be corrupted by the materialistic Dutch culture. That's why they risked their dangerous 1620 voyage to a wilderness continent, not because they were running from oppression, but because they were running toward holiness, fulfilling a fateful mission to build an ideal Christian commonwealth. They initially planned to plant this model society on the wild, wolf-infested island known to natives as Manhattan. But winds and tides blew them 250 miles off course, dumping the Mayflower on the frozen coast of Massachusetts. Somehow, the pilgrims saw their dire situation as a demonstration of providential power, especially after a giant wave picked up the flimsy boat of a scouting party on a stormy December night. The turbulent sea then deposited them safely, miraculously, on a little island within sight of the ideal location for their settlement. It was a deserted Indian village with cleared land, stored supplies of corn, and a reliable source of fresh water. No, these supposedly cruel conquerors never actually invaded that village. Instead, they expressed a fervent desire to pay the natives for the dried corn they found. If only they could find someone to pay. 
but the former inhabitants had perished during three years of plague, probably smallpox, that immediately preceded the pilgrim's arrival. One of the few survivors of that devastation turned up several months later to welcome the English newcomers. Against all odds, he proved to be the single human being on the continent best suited to help the struggling settlers, since he spoke English and had already embraced Christianity. His name was Squanto, and he had grown up in this very village before a ruthless sea captain kidnapped him as a boy and sold him into slavery in Spain. After four years, he was freed by kindly monks, then made his way to England, and finally sailed across the Atlantic only to find his friends and family all wiped out by disease. Over the next few months, Squanto helped the English newcomers plant crops and negotiate a friendly trade agreement with the region's most important chief, Massasoit. No wonder pilgrim leader William Bradford called Squanto a special instrument sent of God for their good. The celebration, later known as the First Thanksgiving, actually involved a three-day harvest festival in October, apparently inspired by the biblical holiday of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Ninety hungry Indian warriors joined the 53 surviving pilgrims for this occasion. Nearly half of the colonists had died during the brutal winter. The Englishmen provided some vegetables, fish, and perhaps wild turkeys, while the natives brought five recently hunted deer as house gifts. The preferred sport on this occasion wasn't football, but shooting, with settlers and Indians sharing a fierce fascination with guns. Though these hardy pilgrims loom large in the American imagination, they never built their Plymouth settlement into a major colony. And nearby Boston, the later colony of Massachusetts Bay, grew so much faster that it swallowed up the great-grandchildren of the pilgrims in 1691. But the sense of purpose of the original pilgrims left a permanent imprint on the national character. They maintained unshakable confidence that God protected them, not to grant special privileges, but to impose special responsibilities. They saw themselves as instruments, not authors, of a mysterious master plan. Today, with our continued blessings so obvious and so overwhelming, the only reason to treat this beloved national holiday as a time of mourning is that some foolish Americans actually think that's a good idea. The pilgrims knew better. They understood that people of every culture and every era can gain more from gratitude than from guilt. I'm Michael Medved for Prager University. Did you catch nuggets of credit to the providence of God in Michael Medved's brief report? I was particularly delighted to hear his acknowledgement that, quote, they maintained unshakable confidence that God protected them, not to grant special privileges, but to impose special responsibilities. They saw themselves as instruments, not authors, of a mysterious master plan. One of the most profound chronicles of the providence of God is the whole history of the pilgrims. They truly are the epitome example of the sovereign guidance of God. They're the enduring taproot of the unique place God has for the historic pathway of America. They're an irreplaceable part of just why this nation is so exceptionally built on God's merciful intervention. 
and it's all amazingly lived out through the lives of godly men and women. Just consider some parts of the pilgrim's journey where Providence redirected their path from what they had planned. Historian Bill Federer publishes a daily historic insight called American Minute. You can find it at the link that I've provided in the notes for today's program at reclaimyourlegacy.com. Here's what he said. High winds and treacherous tides along North America's coast blew the pilgrims 500 miles off course. That prevented them from joining Virginia's settlement at Jamestown, founded 14 years earlier. Having to make landfall in Massachusetts, there was no government to submit to, so the pilgrims created their own. We know it as the Mayflower Compact. It was the first constitution written in America. The Mayflower Compact began in the name of God, Amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, having undertaken for the glory of God an advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic to enact just and equal laws as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. The Mayflower Compact ended in witness whereof we have here under subscribed our names at Cape Cod the 11th of November, Anno Domini, 1620. Another fine example of God's providence and his guidance of the path of the pilgrims is beautifully told by Ben Franklin in his own autobiography. William Federer, in American Minute, for one of the recent posts that he published on that particular website that you can have the link for at the notes for today's program, was called Notable Thanksgiving Day Proclamations. Ben Franklin wrote of the first Thanksgiving in his autobiography, and here's what he said. There's a tradition that in the planting of New England, the first settlers met with many difficulties and hardships, as is generally the case when a civilized people attempt to establish themselves in a wilderness country. Being so piously disposed, they sought relief from heaven by laying their wants and distresses before the Lord in frequent set days of fasting and prayer. Constant meditation and discourse on these subjects kept their minds gloomy and discontented, and like the children of Israel, there were many disposed to return to Egypt, which persecution had induced them to abandon. Ben Franklin continued, saying, At length, when it was proposed in the assembly to proclaim another fast, a farmer of plain sense rose and remarked that the inconveniences they suffered, and concerning which they had so often wearied heaven with their complaints, were not so great as they might have expected, and were diminishing every day as the colony strengthened. That the earth began to reward their labor, and furnish liberally for their subsistence that their seas and rivers were full of fish, the air sweet, the climate healthy, and above all, they were in the full enjoyment of liberty, civil and religious. He therefore thought that reflecting and conversing on these subjects would be more comfortable 
and lead more to make them contented with their situation, and that it would be more becoming the gratitude they owed to the divine being if instead of a fast they should proclaim a thanksgiving. His advice was taken, and from that day to this they have in every year observed circumstances of public felicity sufficient to furnish employment for a thanksgiving day, which is therefore constantly ordered and religiously observed. Historian Bill Federer, in his excellent encyclopedia of quotations called America's God and Country, includes many more first-hand accounts, most notably William Bradford, the Plymouth Colony's first governor, for nearly all of their first 36 years as a new colony. When we discover more of the background history of the little English congregation that we call the Pilgrims, the accounts are permeated with a recognition of God's providence through all their many struggles. Their courage and tenacity to pursue freedom because of their strong convictions that the formalized influences of the Roman Catholic Church made it impossible for them to honestly comply with the demands of King James of England. He was just as determined to harry them out of the land of England if they had not been blown off course to land at Cape Cod. They would not have been forced to establish their own self-governed colony, independent of the jurisdiction and authority of England. They set the tone for the spirit of what became America. Now think of the blessings that we now have in America because of the foundations laid by these courageous souls. Having been blown off course from their intended landing in Virginia by a terrible storm, the pilgrims landed at Cape Cod on November 11, 1620. William Bradford recounted the landing in his book of Plymouth Plantation. Here's what he said. Being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from the perils and miseries thereof, again to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. Can you imagine being on a little tiny boat crammed in it with over a hundred people? That little boat was tossed around on the waves of that ocean for over two months in getting to America. Little did the pilgrims know that if they had landed there just a few years earlier, they would have been massacred by the Patuxet, one of the fiercest Indian tribes on the American coast. The tribe, however, had been completely destroyed by a plague in 1617, although historians don't know exactly why. Of the 102 pilgrims, only 47 survived till spring. At one point, only a half dozen of their number were healthy enough to care for the rest. In the spring of 1621, the Indian Squanto came among them and showed them how to catch fish, how to plant corn, how to trap beaver, and he was also their interpreter with the other Indian tribes. Governor William Bradford described Squanto as a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectation. Governor Bradford wrote of the pilgrims, they shook off the yoke of anti-Christian bondage, and as the Lord's free people joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church estate in the fellowship of the gospel, to walk in all his ways, made known, or to be made known unto them, according to their best endeavors, whatsoever it would cost them, the Lord assisting them. Pilgrim elder William Brewster commented, 
The church that had been brought over the ocean now saw another church, the first born in America, holding the same faith and the same simplicity of self-government under Christ alone. To find out just what a dark world the pilgrims endured, you should get William Federer's book, The Treacherous World of the Sixteenth Century and How the Pilgrims Escaped It, the prequel to America's Freedom. Go to AmericanMinute.com to order it. You'll be very glad you did. All of us, no matter what difficulties we have to face in our day, will be encouraged and inspired by discovering the hardships endured by those who survived during that time of many tribulations among the people of England and all of Europe. Between 1606 and 1609, Muslim pirates from Algiers captured 466 British and Scottish ships. The extraordinary story of North Africa's one million European slaves tells how in 1625 Muslim pirates sailed up the Thames River and raided England. They attacked the coast of Cornwall, captured 60 villagers at one town and 80 at another. Muslim pirates took a whole island in Bristol Channel in England and raised the flag of Islam. By the end of 1625, just five years after the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, over a thousand English subjects were sent to the slave markets in Morocco. I've been a lifelong student of history. I had the joy of experiencing an early career as a history museum curator. I don't think anything matches the eye-opening revelation of my discovery that God has actually been guiding the history of humankind. The discovery of Acts 17.26 showed me an amazing corollary to Romans 8.28. God really does cause all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Here's what the Apostle Paul told the educated people gathered at Mars Hill to hear him unpack the reality that Messiah had finally come to bring about God's redemptive plan for this earth. God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Think of it. God really is at work, causing all things to work together for good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. The pilgrims lived out a pivotal place in God's providential history of the world. The world then was filled with uncertainty, with hardships and tribulations from many causes. Was God in control? Two years after the first Thanksgiving at Plymouth, Governor Bradford made an official proclamation for a day of Thanksgiving on November 29, 1623. To all the pilgrims, inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, And then he went on to proclaim the setting aside of a special day of thanksgiving to Almighty God for all his blessings. In 1647, William Bradford's handwritten book that he titled Of Plymouth Plantation shows us that his generation not only saw the providence of God in their experiences, but they consciously lived in the recognition 
that their lives were about investing in the next generation for the kingdom of God. Hear what he wrote. Last and not least, they cherished a great hope and inward zeal of laying good foundations, or at least making some ways toward it, for the propagation and advancement of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in the remote parts of the world, even though they should be but stepping stones to others in the performance of so great a work. Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing and gives being to all things that are. And, as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many. Yea, in some sort to our whole nation, let the glorious name of Jehovah have all the praise. Today we face uncertainty and tribulations causing many to suffer in unimaginable ways. Is God in control now? I had a dream recently that awakened me when I imagined driving down a road and suddenly discovering I was on the wrong route, even though I had not veered off the path that I thought was correct. Immediately, I thought of some of the many instances in my life where I was rerouted. Ever have some of those? Some of those times were trying, some were exhilarating, but the Lord has always been faithful. As the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. I like what it says in Isaiah 12, verse 2. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Thinking of God's providence experienced by our pilgrim forefathers, will this holiday season leave you filled with joy or burnt out from all the activities as you face the challenges ahead? Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Don't you think that joy really is the bottom line of the Christian life? We desire this lasting joy for ourselves, but also for our families and for the world around us. Full joy to the glory of God is what we were created for. What does that look like practically? It all starts with saturating our minds in the words and the truths of Scripture and other resources filled with this word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. As you launch into the holiday season and select gifts for your loved ones, let me ask you a question. Does the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Are you willing to take some steps to prepare for the providence of God in your family? This season, you have an incredible opportunity to give your loved ones the gift of joy by giving gifts that are rich with the words of Christ and discoveries of His grace in the redirections of our lives. By God's grace, He'll make our joy full. 